0: Welcome to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams. Salt Lake Tribune reporter Christopher Smart reports in the Tribune that news is spreading across the country on the state of homelessness in downtown Salt Lake City, and it's not pretty. Just over the 4th of July holiday, a professional baseball player was attacked and suffered a concussion, and a car plowed into a group of homeless people on a sidewalk, killing one and sending five others to the hospital is just the latest in a string of events that continues to frustrate officials, police and business owners surrounding the effort to make the Rio Grande area safer. Utah House Speaker Greg Hughes was more than a little perplexed on Wednesday in the aftermath of that uh, auto pedestrian accident, uh, quoting uh, Speaker Hughes that violence and what's going on there is escalating and when it gets out of that, that out of hand, you can have a discussion about the National Guard with a straight face. This news comes uh, just a couple of years after Utah was in the spotlight in a much more positive way with reports that the state was approaching its goal of ending chronic homelessness. And uh, so we're going to talk about homelessness in Utah on the program, and we uh, turn to Salt Lake Tribune reporter Christopher uh, Smart. Uh, Christopher Smart, are you there? Yes,
1: hi, can you hear me?
0: I can hear you, yes. Um, great to have you on uh, with us. Welcome, uh, Back to the back to the program. Let's start with this uh, latest unfavorable news coming out of Utah. As I mentioned, juxtaposing that with some uh, Utah's in the spotlight in a favorable way with uh, homelessness. Uh, there's uh, some officials are are uh, calling this uh, a, a state of close to lawlessness down there near the road home.
1: Well, yes, I mean people who are familiar with this area know that it's been in a state of crisis for a number of years now um despite uh real major efforts being made by the police department and by uh homeless service providers and others uh the area is uh well it's it's just not pretty i mean it's uh, uh people do drugs out in the open uh they sell drugs out in the open there's uh Periodic violence, um, the place is filthy. It's just really, um, just unbelievably bad.
0: And this, um, so this is, this is what really caught the headline, Speaker Hughes talking about calling out the National Guard. Is, is he serious about that?
1: I don't think he's ready to call out the National Guard, but he's raising alarm. Uh, because, uh, as you probably know, the Salt Lake City, Salt Lake County, and the Utah legislature have been working diligently for the past three years to see if some uh, progress can't be made down there, and it just doesn't seem like there is. So, after these incidents over the the 4th of July, uh, the speaker just, you know, he he just sounded the alarm. And... Nobody disagrees. I mean, the place is just abysmal. Um, drug trafficking doesn't seem to slow down, despite the fact that in the past year the Salt Lake City police have uh, made more arrests and and you know confiscated more drugs than ever. Um, it just seems to go on unabated.
0: No, uh, uh, maybe getting the the root of the problem here. The road home can take what eleven hundred people
1: at the max. At mm-hmm. eleven hundred, you know, you got people sleeping in the in the aisles. Okay. Uh, so it it actually was built. If we go back a little bit. Um, We didn't have a real homeless problem in this country uh, since the late 30s with the coming of the Department of Housing and Irving Development. And so, I mean, there were people who were known as hobos who had a lifestyle that usually involved, you know, sneaking rides on trains and that sort of thing, but... There wasn't this this whole population in every major city of people who were homeless until the early 80s. uh, The Reagan administration slashed the housing and urban development budget, and they also wanted to close these large mental facilities that had gotten a bad reputation. Um, we can think of one flew over the cuckoo's nest as part of that. But at any rate, uh, all of a sudden we had uh, people who suffered from mental health disorders on the street. And so about somewhere around 1985 or so, the road home was opened in Salt Lake City. And it, it, it what was... Uh, it wasn't called The Road Home at that time, but it, it took in about 300 people. So you can see that that since then there's been this big change. And about 1987, the 4th Street Clinic was opened uh, nearby, which provided free medical care for these folks. Um, but since that time, it's the, the homelessness has just grown and grown and grown. And one thing that we know is that uh, the Road Home, the 4th Street Clinic, and all these other service providers sort of grew up organically. They aren't part of a, an overall organized picture.
0: Hmm. Now, this is, in, in my open eye, juxtaposed this with uh, when Utah, and this was just a couple of years ago, right? Utah was held up as the model, uh housing first model, a, a big success story, approaching at least the end of chronic homelessness.
1: So this this was good news, bad news. Um, it it uh, we had made this big dent in chronic homelessness. Now, that is a term defined by the federal government as a person who has been homeless for one year or more, or a person who has been homeless four times over a three-year period. So we we didn't develop this a housing Verse program uh, other folks had done this but we the state took this up and so you'd take these folks who suffered from addiction and mental, mental illness or you know other medical problems they were the chronic people who couldn't seem to get back into the swing of things and so they would be placed in housing units um And they would have a caseworker assigned to them. And that caseworker would, you know, put them in touch with all the different services they need, depending on their problems. And it worked very well. The problem is that the media, particularly the national media, didn't understand that that homelessness and chronic homelessness are two different things, so the word went out that we 'd solved homelessness, and um, the fact is that just wasn 't true since that time um, all of those all of those housing units. Uh, for these folks who need that constant care uh, they have been filled up and we haven't built any new ones and so we continue to see folks on the street who suffer from mental illness addiction or both and at the same time we see people who are maybe uh, low-income workers who get pushed into homeless by the economic conditions that we see today including low wages and high rents. Hmm.
0: So uh, the stereotype is mental illness, right? And 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 drugs. So that, yeah, that that yeah, is a portion of it, but you're saying that's not all of it.
1: No. In hmm. fact, um there it, we <laughs> we don't notice the folks who Um, become homeless and a lot of them are single moms they they get divorced and you know they've got kids and and boom they're homeless but some of them are you know working families Um, and so they come to the shelter they get services and they get out and that is the majority of folks the average stay in the homeless shelters 47 days. Uh, But there is a whole group of people now uh, who either stay at the road home or camp out down there. You know, several hundred people who have been there for quite a while. And they they may have gotten there because they got addicted to drugs or they may have gotten there and then become addicted to drugs because uh, drug dealers and drug users are on the prowl down there twenty four seven.
0: Hmm. That, so uh, that's an. Uh, I imagine you've spent some time down there in that area. You know, the Rio Grande uh, Road Home Pioneer Park. Um, what. What are some people you've talked to? Maybe give us uh, some examples of some, some well, homeless you've talked to.
1: Well, so after uh, on July 4th, there was this accident it, that you mentioned where a woman driving east on 200 south uh, near 400 west uh, drove up over the curb onto the sidewalk into six homeless people who were sitting there, killed one. He injured the others, um, hospitalized them. Um, so the day after, we went down there to see and talk to witnesses. And so just at random, uh, we talked to seven or eight people, all of whom had been there for more than one year, some as many as eight years. So you you see these folks, and um, it, it has become a lifestyle for some of them. Uh, but when you're, according to, you know, all the service providers, when you're homeless and you're addicted, it's very difficult to get out of that situation because the only thing you're thinking about is your next fix. Um, and so... Those folks, they just go hour to hour uh, and there's uh, it's really difficult to get them out of their situation. The people who are sober, um, they can get help with housing and and other services and they they can, you know, get back in the swing of things Um and of course, it's very difficult for them, but they can, in a matter of um, a month or three, you know they're, they're back uh, back into productive roles in society. So there's, there's quite a, a disconnect there, and I think when mo- what most of us see, and the visual uh, we have, at least in Utah, and homelessness, is, is Rio Grand Street, and uh, it's very disturbing.
0: It's um, I was touched to read some of the reactions from the some of the homeless that you uh, talked to down there um, to the death of this lady who was killed. Um, right. and, it, and it's I think it goes to and I'm hoping I'm not the only one. Uh, it's kind of a dehumanizing effect when you, you talk about homelessness and the, the homeless and it can be kind of just this monolith and you, you just think about the problem. You don't think about the, the people. The well,
1: yeah, I mean, it's something that we'd rather ignore and folks um, are just stay away from that area. The The area had been slowly getting better, um, you know, before, say, 2008, um, and there were new apartment buildings built down there and there were some thriving businesses. Uh, It wasn't that homelessness had completely gone away, but things were getting better until, you know, about five years ago, things really all of a sudden got worse. And what most experts say is that beyond the economic situations for low-income workers, that the opioid epidemic has just taken over. Um, So it's kind of a twofold uh, epidemic. Part of it is prescription drugs, and the other part of it's heroin. And so we have this enormous uh, quantity of prescription drugs being, uh, you know, prescribed by doctors every day in Utah and throughout the country. And for some and and it's, they are addictive for some people not all um and and so these folks once they're addicted they may become homeless and or they may turn to heroin as an alternative that is cheaper and more accessible um and so and this is uh, really a a scourge nationwide. We see it in big cities. We see it in small towns. We just see it everywhere. And you can, if you dare, uh, take a walk in the middle of the day on Rio Grande Street, and you can see people shooting up right there on the sidewalk. And um, you know we're at a loss to to know what to do about it. At least so far.
0: Mm. Let's take a break. When we come back more with Christopher Smart, he's spending the hour with us. We're talking about homelessness in Utah, a very important topic, and it's sort of reached a boiling point lately lately. Um, and uh, Christopher Smart is joining us from KCPW Studios in Salt Lake Sear. Thanks to the good folks at KCPW. Uh, you can join this uh, program, hope that you will, by email with your question or comment on this issue at uh, 1-800-826-1495, one 826 1495 or by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this break.
1: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau showcasing outdoor access to the National Forest for hiking, fishing, and camping. Information on trails, campsites, and more available online at explorelogan.com. At first, Rafael Blehach didn't want to play the piano.
0: It was my dream to play the organ in the church when I was a child, not the piano. But when I started to play the piano, I realized that maybe this is the right instrument for me. I'll say it is. Coming up, Rafael Blechacz plays Brahms in concert on the piano on the next performance today from APM. Join us tonight
1: at 9 on Utah Public Radio. This is Ted Twinting, and I am a development officer with Utah Public Radio. Underwriting with UPR allows you and your business to capture the attention and ears of informed, educated, and savvy consumers across
0: the state of Utah. To learn more about becoming a sponsor with UPR, call our development team at 435-797-3141. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about homelessness in Utah. We're spending the hour with Salt Lake Tribune reporter Christopher Smart, who's been covering this issue for uh, quite some time with the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, check out his um, reports at sltrib.com. And he is joining us from the KCPW studios in Salt Lake City, our thanks to the people at uh, KCPW. Uh, Christopher Smart, uh, here is an email from Steve who uh, writes in to upraccess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. Steve says, in your intro, you made reference to how homelessness frustrates officials, police officers, and business owners. So here's hoping that during the hour, you go beyond officials' frustration to examine the terrible plight of the homeless themselves. And Steve, hopefully we've uh, talked a bit about that. Uh, I'm not sure what what you'd like to respond to that email. Uh, uh, Chris?
1: Well, we have tried uh to put a face on homelessness over the past 3 or 4 years and we've done stories uh, many uh, many focused on single moms um and their plight. They uh we focused on a woman who has, you know, two maybe teenage girls by now but she um she was homeless with her two daughters she got into a program called rapid rehousing that's a federal program that is administered locally by the road home and what they do is they they get you an apartment um or a duplex or something and and they put uh, the deposit down and generally 3 months rent um and but this woman was working um but then she came became ill she had a series of health setbacks couldn't make the rent got evicted and became homeless again we we did a, another story about a, a she wasn't a single mom she had two children and a husband well, I guess boyfriend is more like it, partner. Um, they were homeless. They got into rapid rehousing, got a duplex in uh, Rose Park. But then the the male uh, partner was arrested on a parole violation, went back to jail. They got evicted. But not only did they get evicted, but they got uh, fined because they had signed a lease. And then they were you know, uh, sort of on the hook for all the rent that they didn't pay when that unit was vacant. So they had to go out, but they're on the hook for, you know, whatever it was, $850 a month. So we see these stories and they are heartbreakers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just... It, I mean, it's it's just almost impossible to fathom. We also did a story, good sort of a good news story on a young man who was finishing up at West Point, but who had been homeless in Salt Lake City and had slept in the back seat of his parents' car with his sister. Those folks were low wage earners uh, who ended up homeless with their two young children and. After they became homeless, they got into drugs. And, and these people, when they become homeless, it's so difficult that they often, you know, just need some relief and start taking some drugs. And before you know it, they're addicted. Well, that's what happened here. The uh, The mother was able to get off drugs. The father wasn't. Um, one thing led to another. And by the time the kids were like tweens, uh, everything had fallen apart. But a uh, a relative of the mother's uh, and her husband adopted these kids. And as soon as they were in stable homes, uh, a stable home with this family, they, they got straight A's in high school and, you know, went on to excel fabulously. So, um, yeah, I mean, most people... Who go through homelessness are you know they're they're people i mean we we want to just see this mass of uh drug addicts and losers and write them off, but you know these are all people and they all have their own stories to tell
0: and this is uh, you know by definition a very precarious situation uh here on the street, especially imagine in the winter time I'd imagine people die of exposure.
1: Well, they do. And, um, you know, when you're either, like today, it's going to be probably close to 100 in Salt Lake City. Um, And then, you know, wintertime, it gets so, so very cold in December and January and February. And uh, it's hard for one to imagine living in those conditions. Those people down there on Rio Grande Street will be baking today and uh, all day long and um i it's it's hard to imagine that kind of uh i don't know it's just a very tough life and in the winter time we do have people die from exposure but even even those who don't i mean it, it's a real struggle to stay warm um And uh, beyond that, it's just seems like a difficult life filled with um, a lot of boredom and and emptiness. And it's just uh, it's really it's just something that it's just hard to believe that so many people are having to live through that in this country.
0: So we do know that uh, some small percentage, uh, even if offered services, would would choose to stay out there on the street. That I imagine that's very small. For for the for the rest of the people on on the street, what what do they need? What what would get them off the streets?
1: Well, you know, it just always comes down to housing and wages. And so uh, we know that in Salt Lake area, uh, year to date rents are up. That's just in one year. And the minimum wage has not changed in 10 years. So, uh, but according to the, which is $7.25 an hour, according to the Salt Lake City Police Department, which is trying to get a handle on this, you know, they're saying that uh, a living wage in Salt Lake City is somewhere north of $11 an hour. Um, so if you have a, a couple with two young children, that means you've got one breadwinner because uh, daycare is very expensive. And so um, if you, it's just very hard to pencil. If you're if you're making even twelve dollars an hour, uh, which isn't much, uh, and then you're you're looking at these rents that are, you know, the average rent in Salt Lake City is now north of $900 a month. So it's that that squeeze um but but for folks on the street they all they want is they want a place they can call home. That's that's what they want and um many of them most of them are willing to work hard. Um there are that that minority, the visible minority that we see, that uh, really, they're problematic. I mean, they; these people can come back, but it's really hard. The um, Salt Lake City Police Department, in conjunction with Salt Lake County and City Hall in Salt Lake City, had a program this year called Operation Diversion. So they'd go down to the Rio Grande District and they would um, arrest everybody that they saw breaking the law or using drugs. And then they would take them uh, to uh, a triage center where there were attorneys and and all sorts of folks and give them a choice. You want to go to jail or you want to go to treatment? Well, uh, some portion of them chose treatment. But down the line, only 10% uh, stayed in treatment of those who, you know, sort of were forced into treatment. By contrast, the uh, Salt Lake City, two or three years ago, opened an office down on Rio Grande called the Community Connection Center where homeless people could go in there seeking help. And of the walk-ins... that walked in who, who, addicts seeking uh, treatment, according to Salt Lake City Police Department, the success rate was about 50% of those who stayed in treatment.
0: Hmm, so, so pretty good.
1: That, yeah, I mean, I mean well, you know, I mean, the people who have dedicated their lives to helping homeless folks say that every life counts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, what we have down here is we have a situation where every time we get somebody out of homelessness uh whether they're an addict or not there's somebody to take their place mm-hmm. so it's not it's it's a dynamic situation not so much for those Three hundred or whatever it is, addicts who are down there—they're pretty static. But, but the rest of the folks—it's a dynamic situation. They become homeless; they're out. So it's not when you look down there, you're not seeing the exact same population day in and day out. Um, but is what is troubling is the the folks who are are staying, you know, in the area year after year, and um, it, it's just. It's hard what, to know what to do. We get them into treatment. Some are successful, but we've got this river of um, narcotics flowing into this country. We also have... We're prescribing a, a lot of uh, opioids, and, and that is that's just, you know, that is a really large problem. If
0: you just joined us, we're talking about homelessness in Utah, and we're joined by Salt Lake Tribune reporter Christopher Smart, who's done a lot of reporting on on this. Um, and uh, you can join this conversation at upraxcess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. I'd love to know if uh, this has touched you or your family. Have you have you experienced homelessness, or do you know someone who has, or uh, perhaps this uh, this flood of drugs, uh, opioids or uh, or other drugs, has that touched you or your family? I'd love to get your experience and uh, get your comment on what uh, can and should be done. Upraccess at gmail.com is the place to go for email. And you can call us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Christopher Smart is joining us from KCPW Studios in uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, so, Christopher Smart, uh, what if you could maybe expand on this? You, you connected, the have you connect up some of the history, which you gave us earlier in the program, so that we didn't really have a, a, a chronic homelessness problem um, until about the, uh, the, the 1980s, right? Reagan administration, so a couple of factors there, re- reduction in funds for housing and urban development and change in the way the government was handling mentally ill.
1: Yeah, so I um, was talking to a fellow, uh, actually his name is Jack Thomas, he's the uh, mayor of Park City, but in, during that era, late 70s, he was just fresh out of architecture school and he and his, some of his, his fellows, uh, architects, young guys, they um, were getting HUD grants to build affordable housing. And so they would, you know, they'd build these affordable housing projects. Um, But then, in the early 1980s, that was cut off. Uh, It just slashed goodbye. So you know, that stopped. Uh, We stopped building those, Um, and and so now, uh, so it's been, you know, free market. Uh, mostly, so but here we are, all these years later, and we're we're suffering. We have a two percent vacancy rate in the Salt Lake area, which basically means there there's nothing. So that really drives up prices because it's supply and demand, and the demand is high and the supply is low. So we're going to see a continual. Problem in the price of housing. What's kind of ironic is that in Salt Lake City right now we've got a building boom of apartment buildings. I mean, we they're just going up all over the place, but they're all you know nine hundred plus rents. The um, in, in some cases, the Salt Lake City has you know made. Uh, certain fee waivers for these uh, developers to build quote affordable units, and but those units are, you know, starting at seven fifty for a studio and going up, and so it's not that does not get to the heart of the problem in 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 terms of being able to afford a place to live. And so you've got, you know, that's that's a big hurdle. Then you've got employment. A lot of uh, our lower income workers uh, have more than one job. I mean, we we've got people out there who have two jobs and who just work and work and work. But they, they're paid so little, and you know, I mean, we we really do have a, a, a work ethic among these folks. That goes I think largely unrecognized because they they just don't make a lot of money uh some of them are immigrants um and uh and the immigrants are are willing to take these low paying jobs i think more than the rest of us and and work several jobs just to you know stay afloat so that's another part uh, another uh, challenge here is health care. Um, for so if if you are working uh, and you have, you know, two kids or whatever the case may be and you're hospitalized and you don't have good insurance, that can knock you into homelessness. And so there are these sort of macro economic trends out there that are. That these folk, lower income folks, are are swimming against, and and they have to, you know, they have to swim hard.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about the the uh, mental illness component of this. That's uh, that's very very difficult to uh, to address. And I want to ask what what uh, programs are being proposed? What programs are seem successful? Uh, there's a there's a percentage of the homeless that are, are mentally ill. Uh, We're talking with Christopher Smart, Salt Lake Tribune reporter, talking about homelessness in Utah. More following this break. Have you ever noticed that your smartphone knows where the traffic jams are? This information shows up as red dashes along your route. The system works by recognizing that the cell phones riding in those cars aren't moving very fast. This same concept shows up in other applications, too. Last year, computer scientists at USU and Berkeley created a smartphone app that detects earthquakes. Inside every smartphone is an accelerometer, a device that measures the movement and orientation of your phone. Accelerometers detect the slightest vibrations, even ones underground. The app can instantly sense the signature rumble of an earthquake, and it knows the difference between the real thing and normal movement. Support on Utah Public Radio for Creating Tomorrow is provided in part by our members and the College of Engineering at Utah State University with graduate and undergraduate degrees in computer science and offering a computer science minor. Information at engineering.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utime time Tom Williams. We're talking about homelessness in Utah, a very serious topic. It's hit the news recently with incidents down near the Road Home shelter in downtown Salt Lake City, including one woman who was killed when another woman in a car jumped the curb and plowed into a group of people. There was a professional baseball player who was attacked, I think, with a tire iron and received a concussion. And that has uh, Speaker Greg Hughes uh, of the Utah House of Representatives musing that uh, we're now perhaps in the territory of calling in the National Guard. I don't, I don't think he's calling. He I don't think he's calling for calling in the National Guard, but he's saying maybe we're in that territory. Um, we're talking about this issue with Christopher Smart, Salt Lake Tribune a reporter. You can join this conversation at 800-826-1495 or upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Upraccess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, uh, so I wanted to talk, Christopher Smart, about uh, mentally ill. I don't know what percentage of the chronic homeless uh, are mentally ill, but there there's a percentage out there.
1: Yeah, so there's this... Um organization called Collective Impact, which is uh, the outgrowth of Salt Lake City and Salt Lake County's uh, recent endeavors to find solutions to the problems down there. And uh, in December, uh, last December, um, Collective Impact uh, got a lot of uh, folks and they went down in the area and they interviewed. Uh, a lot of people, uh, hundreds of people down there in in a very short period of time, and so these uh, one of the questions uh, that was asked um, was you know do you uh, suffer from mental or behavioral problems and more than thirty percent of those asked said yes to that question. that was actually higher than the question about about drug use, Um, which is sort of hard to believe. But nonetheless, uh, over 30% of the folks down there uh, were willing to admit that they had behavioral problems uh, slash, you know, mental health issues. So that tells us that that's a a very big component of what's going on. And the fact is that many of those people uh, choose to self-medicate with street drugs, and that exacerbates the problem. So the question is then, well, how do you get these people into treatment? And that was part of the success of Housing First was the, the housing first was the idea that you take somebody, no matter what their problems are, and you put them in, give them a home. Once they're in a home, then that gives them some stability, and then you can sort of work on those other problems. Uh, that was that was revolutionary because before that, you know, going back a decade, that the deal was well, you need to get sober, and get a job, and then we'll talk to you. But and and that of course, didn't work. So we do. We have these folks down there who who are suffering from mental illness. They're also, you know, maybe suffering from drug addiction. And the whole challenge is is to get those folks into treatment. In the meantime, though, um, that that makes for um that many people in that condition make for a very unhealthy environment down there and it's it's really is unpredictable and and downright frightening mm-hmm. and it's uh it's driven businesses away um and it's you know it's it's just really going to be a, a very big challenge to get those people where they need to go for treatment housing first was you know it was is a successful model, no doubt. We just don't have enough houses.
0: So it, it sounds like, uh, well, let me ask it this way. Uh, several uh, experts you talked to reading uh, some of the stories uh, you've written, Christopher Smart did, uh, make the same point, which is that homelessness is a complex problem, um, you know, converging series of problems, and therefore no one solution is going to be the solution I wonder if you talk a, a bit more about some other solutions. Housing first, I guess, one piece of this. What are some other things that seem to have worked?
1: Well, last week I talked to a guy in San Francisco who has been working on this issue for over two decades. And I sort of asked him the same question you just asked me and he said the answer is housing 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 and um so it, each each individual case is unique you know because we're all unique individuals we all have our own pluses and minuses so you you do have in that regard it's complex but if you if you boil it down you can look at housing wages, and health care. And so then the the trick is to, how how do you deal with a mass of people who have their own problems uh, and strengths, and how do you take that group and get each one where it needs to go? And so... Ben McAdams and his collective impact crew came up with this new idea, um, at least new for Utah, where instead of having this one big shelter and this one big mass of people down there, there would be three smaller shelters. It would be about 200 beds each. And then... um, And and then you could, if you were homeless, you could go to any one of these three. And and what would happen is you would go in and immediately they would give you an assessment to find out what issues you need. And then they would immediately get you the kind of help you needed. And the idea was that because it would be more orderly and functioning with 200 people in three different locations... That they would be able to coordinate this better and get each individual what they needed to get back on their feet and get going. Um, And that sounds pretty good, except for one thing. And that is that those shelters slash resource centers would not house people with mental health problems or addiction. And so that would just you know, get the people who had had a crisis or or one thing or another and they'd fallen into homelessness and then you get them and you get them out. Okay. So then what do you do with the others? Well, the problem is uh, these sorts of treatment centers, treatment beds. I mean, so you have a facility that has, you know, X number of beds. And so that's what they look at. So if you have... 300 people who need treatment, or 400 people, and you only have 100 beds, what's happening? So that's where the squeeze is right now, is because uh, the $27 million that the Utah legislature has set aside for these three new resource centers and the programming, some of the programming that would go with them, does not take into account treatment beds, and that is, so the squeeze is on. Now, the um, Utah, again, for the, oh, probably 10th time in a row, is going to seek these uh, Medicaid waivers from Washington, D.C., from the federal government, that would provide up to $100 million for these these sort of treatment centers. that would be small and small in nature because the, the federal government will no longer fund these large places uh, that, that we became to known as these, you know, cuckoo nest kinds of places. But, but we've tried to get that funding for years and years and years, and it's really a key to this whole problem is funding for mental health care and addiction. And so right now that remains a big question mark. And that
0: illustrates, I think, what we're seeing in the Senate health care debate. A lot of, you know, myself included, uh, hadn't been aware of the reach of Medicaid beyond uh, perhaps what we thought it was going to.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Medicaid uh, heretofore has been a very important piece of of health care for, you know, low income folks. And. Uh, Some Medicaid funding for uh, homeless people. But what we're hearing um, here locally in Salt Lake City from all of the um, providers is that we need a Medicaid expansion. The uh, the Utah legislature has been reluctant because uh, down the road they... They believe that they we could become oh it, it could become too onerous uh in terms of of an annual budget item um so there's they're seeking these waivers instead there is there is going to be or or there has been a modest Medicaid expansion in Utah that will that is Helping somewhat in in terms of these beds, but it, it's just it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, and it's so the other thing is is that um, it, it's the same every time we get somebody who's homeless into a home. There's somebody there to take their place, mm-hmm. and so that's the truth with the the folks suffering from mental illness and addiction you know so it's not it's just do you know we're not going to fix it one time it's it's ongoing
0: steve's written back in a question that i was about to ask so steve and steve and i are on the same wavelength he's saying in utah is homelessness primarily a salt lake city problem um or are there other towns and cities dealing with this too what about logan say or saint george or smaller cities and towns
1: well um so the folks down at the road home shelter Most are not from Salt Lake City. They're from across the state and out of state. So um, Ogden has a, a small shelter. I believe Provo does as well. But for the most part, when people get homeless in Utah, they come here because they know there are services here. Also, if you go down and interview people down there, you'll find um, a a significant number who are out of state. Um, And so there are, I guess, a, a, a multiplicity of reasons why somebody from out of state would be here. One is that they come here for a job and it doesn't pan out, or they come here for a job and they get laid off. Um, There are folks who think they come here because our services are so great. But, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. But we find you can look at any major U.S. city and there.